on episode 497 of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast, we bring back Dr. Mark Bubbs and discuss his new book, Peak 40, the new science of midlife health for a leaner, stronger body and a sharper mind. You can find the full show notes for this episode at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash 497. Have you decided you're ready to make a change? To reclaim your health and fitness, the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is here for you. I'm your host, Alan Meisner. I'm an NSAM certified personal trainer with a specialization in corrective exercise and fitness nutrition. Let me be your coach as you find your way on your health and fitness journey. All right, let's go. This episode of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is sponsored by Haka Life Nutrition, the maker of GLX3. I am really glad to have Haka Life Nutrition as a sponsor. Omega-3 is one of the few supplements I take regularly. But even with years of experience and having interviewed hundreds of experts in the health and fitness field, I have struggled to find a great solution until now. We all know farm-raised meat doesn't give us the right balance of omega-3 to omega-6 and that omega-3 helps reduce inflammation, which reduces joint pain and is heart healthy. Getting enough omega-3 isn't as straightforward as it should be. From the mercury in the fish to poor production controls, it's really hard to find a high-quality product that gives you what you're after. That is until GLX-3. Made from green-lipped mussels from New Zealand, this is the only natural source of ETA. I'm not even going to try to pronounce the full name. This version of omega-3 is particularly effective at reducing inflammation and therefore reducing joint pain. That's why my wife is taking it now. I take it for heart health. Go to hakalife.com forward slash 40 plus and use the discount code 40 plus to get a buy one, get one free deal on your first order, which gives you a two-month starter supply. GLX-3 is my go-to omega-3 supplement going forward. It can be yours too by going to hakalife.com forward slash 40 plus and be sure to use the discount code 40 plus for the BOGO deal. The other day I was chatting with a guy about weight loss and fitness and he said to me, now's not a good time. This is one excuse I hear a lot and it bothers the crap out of me. Time is not on your side when it comes to getting healthier and more fit. The aging curve continues to march on. Sarcopenia, Ostopenia, weight gain. If you're putting it off until the timing is perfect, I have a sad truth for you. There's never a perfect time. Life doesn't get in the way. Life is the way. Losing weight and getting fit isn't a destination or a result of a project. It is a product of a developed, healthy lifestyle. Living life in a way that keeps you strong, energetic, and feeling great. You're listening to this podcast, which tells me you know all of this. You know what you need to do, but you're not consistently doing it. Maybe you start, but then something derails you. You're not getting the results you want, the results you need. If you're serious about weight loss, it's time to do something different, something more. It's time to invest in a coach. If you'd like to see if the 40 Plus Fitness 12-week gas program is for you, email me Alan at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com. We can set up a call so I can understand where you are, and then we can put together a plan that will work for you. Don't let another day, week, month, or year pass with you getting the same you've always got. Get off the roller coaster. 
email me, alan at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com, and get the guidance, accountability, and support you need to lose the weight for good. Hey, Raz, how are things going? Good, Alan. How are you today? I'm, I'm doing well. I'm, uh, I had uh, kind of run out of guests, um, and so I was in a little bit of a panic mode, so I threw out, you know, reached out to four different guests uh, just to see if I could get them on the show. Uh, and they all four said yes. Uh, oh. and they all four, I mean, three of them scheduled for this week. So oh, gosh. Uh, I was like sitting there uh, Thursday night and I get the last one to book and I'm like, they all booked in the same week. So I have a Monday, <laughs> I have a Tuesday and I have a Thursday interview and I have wow. some books to read. I was uh, going to say, you've got a lot to read. <laughs> they were good books. I'm I'm good. looking forward to talking to all of them. I know as you're listening to this, this is episode 497. And so I've, I've now booked up the plan all the way through the end of August. Uh, wow. And so I've, I've did that interview and we'll be doing the other interviews. So we're going to be booked up through there. We're going to have our 500th episode uh, coming up. So that's coming up, but that'll be a solo show to discuss what we're doing here on the show uh, and to celebrate and talk about some of the things we learned this year that are different yeah. than maybe things I've learned uh in the past, but, um, you know, 500 is a big accomplishment, but we've got some really cool guests coming, uh, talking about some topics. Uh, obviously uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had someone talking about stroke. Um, mm-hmm. and that was a, that was a requested by a listener. I have another, uh, episode coming up that was requested. Someone was talking about binge eating. So we have oh. a, a binge eating episode coming up soon. And so, you know, and then there's others that just, they want something easier. And so I've, I've got a guy, that, you know, kind of talks about how to manage moderation, uh, and do it, you know, do it the right way, uh, for yourself, customize oh, yourself. So it's, um, neat. got some really good episodes coming up. So I'm pretty excited about that. And, um, I've kind of launched this new thing on the Facebook group that you may have noticed if you're, if you're in the Facebook group, but every Tuesday night now I'm coming on and doing a Facebook live mm-hmm. to answer any questions that anyone has, uh, particularly about the episode that we did that week. So, uh, if you're listening to this on Monday uh, or Tuesday during the day, if you can go to the Facebook group at 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash group, uh, get into the Facebook group and I do a live there. I'll answer any questions you have uh, about this episode uh, with Dr. Bubs. So, you know, anything that comes up and you want to you know about, uh, about the interview, something he said, something you thought about, a question that came up, I'll do my best to answer it on that live uh, so go to 40plusfitnesspodcast.com forward slash group uh, and join the 40 plus fitness uh, podcast group. And uh, I'll be there live every Tuesday. We do a lot of cool things, challenges. You know, I post a lot of uh, what I think are important things for us to consider in our health and mm-hmm. fitness journey. So a lot of value, I think, there. Come join the group. It's not overwhelming. There, you'll be with uh, six, over 1,600 other people uh, that love the show and, and want to get healthy and fit. And we're all over 40. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's a really cool place to hang out. Absolutely. And that sounds fun. So what's been going on up there? Oh, we're doing good. Um, through the magic of podcasting, this will be a little bit later, but Mike and I celebrate our birthdays this week and we both turned 50. So we're getting ready for that and big celebration. Congratulations! <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty excited. <laughs> well, we need to share this. I think we've yeah. shared this before, but mm-hmm. from a birthday perspective, Mm-hmm. And if I recall, Mike's older by one day. He is. Yep. And then your birthday is the very next day. It is. And yep, you're both, yep. you're both the same age, right. both turning 50. Yep. And so I, 
my wife would probably be able to answer this question for me. But when you're both the same astrological sign <laughs> and, the, and the same Chinese sign, yeah. how, does, how does that work? <laughs> we, we seem to make it work. Okay. I think we're a lot the same in many respects and a lot different in many other respects. We have enough yin yang, I think, to make it work. We've actually been married 26 years now. So mm, that we somehow made that work. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but. That's over half your life. (laughs) It is. It is. Yeah. We both, uh, cancer is known for being stubborn. That's my astrological sign is cancer. And, and, uh, and we're known for being stubborn and we both can be in very different ways, but but he's, he's in health and safety. So that's kind of a good, good, good feel to be in if you're stubborn. It is. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Absolutely. All right. So So you're ready to get into our conversation with Dr. Bubs. Yep. This will be great. Our guest today is a naturopathic doctor, performance nutrition lead for Canada Basketball, and performance nutrition consultant for a portfolio of professional and Olympic athletes. He is the author of the best-selling book, Peak, and what I'm sure will be another bestseller, Peak 40. He also hosts the Performance Nutrition Podcast, connecting listeners with the world-leading experts in human performance and health, and regularly speaks at health, fitness, and medical conferences around the world. With no further ado... Here's Dr. Mark Bubbs. Dr. Bubbs, welcome back to 40 Plus Fitness. Alan, I appreciate you having me on. Always good to be back. Yeah. Now, the last time I had you on, we were talking about your book, Peak, and it's really where you had done a deep dive into just performance in general. What are the best athletes in the world doing? What does science tell us about why they're so good and why they're getting better? And then you wrote the book, I wanted you to write, uh, I didn't tell you I wanted you to write it, but you wrote it and it's called peak 40, the new science of midlife health for a leaner, stronger body and a sharper mind. And that's a big promise. That is and a big you, promise, isn't it? But you delivered, but you delivered. Well, I appreciate that. It's a, I mean, it's a funny thing when you're trying to write books. I mean, this one actually came out of the, the impetus was the book was really working in performance. The coaches and the performance staff were all, you know, like myself and they're, early forties or beyond and leading busy lives. It was like, look, I need a, I need just the Coles notes or the, that's what we use in saying Canada, you know, the abbreviated version yeah. of, of, of what I need to do, right. What are the big rocks? And so, and that resonated with me as well with, with working in the general population, you know, people are so busy in their day-to-day lives that it's, it's, it's tough to have a, a big long list of things to do. And so the goal here was to provide you know, some of these big rocks, like we say, of how yeah. the major things that we can really, you know, try to keep the ball in the fairway, so to speak, you know, yeah. if we use a golfing metaphor here, let's, let's keep it somewhere where we can play the next shot. And then all of a sudden people realize, like, I'm sure you see in your, in your practice, like all of a sudden we can make some pretty darn good progress if we just start layering in some of these real fundamentals. Yeah. And we call them cliff notes in the United States. It's you know, cliff basically notes. You just go. the, yeah, just the short, you call them Coles notes. We call them cliff notes, but, um, uh, before I get in, I didn't really talk about this, but I was, I was going back and preparing for this. Uh, and, and I just thought this, I, I can't leave this moment without actually saying this is you talked about kind and wicked as mm-hmm. learning environments. And, and I, again, it just resonated with me. So I just want to share this and we can go into it a little bit if you want to, but um, a kind learning environment is basically where things just fall in line. You, you have immediate feedback, you do something, you see the result. Uh, you, your, your golf metaphor is perfect because that's what you talked about. You hit a golf ball. If you hit it well, it went far. It went where it's supposed to go. 
and and you're happy with that golf shot. You've got immediate and it, and feedback. And it doesn't feel kind, does it, Alan? <laughs> like it doesn't feel easy or kind, but it does actually, the result yeah. immediately tells you. If you know a golf swing, you know exactly what you did wrong in terms of swing playing and everything else. But it is obviously a difficult sport. Yeah. But uh, and, yeah. and so kind, kind doesn't necessarily mean the answer you're getting, the feedback you're getting. It just means you do get that feedback. Whereas wicked 100%. learning environments are where you have to just stick with it. And it takes so much more planning and patience. And when we're over 40 and we're looking at trying to improve our health, you know, we, we go into the gym and we do a workout. We, we, we eat well for a week and we don't really get immediate feedback. It's it, sometimes we don't get feed or sometimes we even get negative feedback. It's not the feedback we wanted. Yeah. Like, well, crap, I ate salad all week and I gained weight. I, I guess salads make me fat. Um, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> You know, so I just, I wanted, I want to take that because I think as we go into this, that was just really something I took out of the book that was uh, unexpected because it is the message. The message is if you don't have planning, which this book gives you the tools, which that's why it's so great of a book and the patience to execute on the things that you'll learn that Dr. Bubbs has written about. Um, this is, this is a great book to give you some huge fundamentals, those big rocks that you were talking about to, to really move the needle. Well, it's interesting. I mean, you hit on a couple of things there. I mean, one of them is the human aspect of this whole story, which is the fact that regardless if you're the most rational scientist, doctor, lawyer, whomever, this human part of us, even though in your business, in your work life or in your finances, you'd never think you're going to, you know, your return on investment is going to be a hundred to one in a month. When we talk about weight loss, all of a sudden, you know, rationality goes out the window and we're wondering why in 30 days we haven't lost 30 pounds. And of course that's the message, you know, rapid transformation, so much of the message that we get, but compounding things is this idea of, yeah, a wicked learning environment. And it's interesting because years ago, I actually lived in the South of France teaching English and the method they used, you'd have to speak to the French people only in English. You, you never translated anything. Of course they couldn't speak English. And so they found it incredibly difficult to start with. And it's interesting because research in this area compared, you know, this is what this program was built on compared to the classic, you know, you learn Spanish, you learn French and you memorize a bunch of words. And when the researchers then asked those students how they felt that they were doing, they all felt like they were learning really well. Now, the other group in the study was doing like I had done in France, which is they were in a full immersion. So they no one could speak to them in their mother tongue. They had to just grind through it. And when you, when the researchers asked them how they were doing, they said they were doing horribly, you know, that I'm not learning anything. Um, and of course, six months later, they do this sort of immersion test. And of course, the people who scored, you know, 90% on their test because they memorized all the words, once you actually put them in an environment where they had to speak French or Spanish, they were awful, right? Because they hadn't actually practiced it. Whereas the ones who thought they were awful the whole time by being in this complete immersion could actually do it well. And so that idea of linear progression is what we're talking about here. We're so used to making progress and steps that to go to muddle through weeks and months and feel like you're not making progress, even though you are, because you're laying down the right foundations for how you eat, the right habits, the right training. And it does take some time. Um, that's one of the hardest things. I mean, it's, and ironically, it circles back to Pete because this is one of the reasons why elite athletes and Olympians are so great because they find a way to get through, you know, it's not because they're doing some fancy new workout or they've got a special supplement. 
It's because they can get through all these day after day, week after week of this training. And they accept the fact that this trajectory is going to be, you know, slow, right? If you get 1% stronger, if you're an Olympic athlete, that's tremendous work in a year, right? So it's, uh, but I think when people, when we present that more to clients and we let them know that we've traveled down this road and this is the expectation and we're going to get you to where you want to go. And the best part, of course, is if you use that method to get there, once you arrive, it's not a free fall back to where you started from once you, you know, you make a, a mistake or you go off the rails a little bit. Yeah. And so I, I again, I just thought that was a, a really important concept because so many people expect that immediate, I did this, therefore that, like this, if that, you know, and so it's, but it doesn't happen that way. And so that was really cool. Now, another thing you got into the book, which again, as you got into it, I was like, whoa, whoa. Uh, <laughs> that's, that's a little, that's a little deep because uh, and I knew this, I knew this in, empirically because, you know, when we look at the standards, so something says, okay, you should, your BMI should be this and your blood pressure should be this and your height should be this. And, you, you know, we go through all those things and what we, what you come to find out when you actually get down below it is that all of these things are really sort of averages for a general person, you know, and so you know, mm-hmm. I don't think any of us are average across the board. We're exceptional in some places and we're not so good in others. For uh, sure. So as you look at fasting blood glucose level, I was like, this is interesting because what you, which you, some of the studies you, you touched on, one of them was in diabetes care and another was in scientific reports. And one of them was in 1999, the others in 2017. So this is research that's been ongoing is that even though you're in the reference range, as they call it, you might not be optimized. You might not have really a good chance that might actually be better from a longevity perspective, uh, from a health perspective to, to be a little bit more optimized. And you talked about how the current range for blood glucose level might not be good enough. And we might actually want to start not just being high normal, but really pushing ourselves down. Yeah, again, it's it's that idea of like in our work life, if we're getting feedback, if a project isn't to that A standard that we want, we don't accept that it's a B and just say, oh, that's good enough. We we investigate and we say, how can we make this a top class or an A level? And so the challenge in medicine is that so many people are unwell. So for a GP who's sitting there all day long, seeing 20 or 24 patients, two thirds of the population are overweight or obese. And so they're seeing blood sugar levels in the nines, tens, and 11s. And so when somebody walks in and their fasting glucose is 5.8 or 5.9, geez, for the day, that's, you know, that's actually pretty good. And so oftentimes they won't get a recommendation or the, the, the doc won't tell them anything. And that's, you know, I don't necessarily blame the doc for that, but it is this idea that we've got to start, you know, if you're the individual listening to this, and I'm obviously listening to yourself, they've probably caught on to this already of, of just being able to compare yourself to yourself every year. Because the first, you know, the first post to the goal to meet is that you're in the normal range. Like that's the first place we want to get to. But after you're in there, this idea that just because you're within the normal range, you're still doing well is a problem because I've had, as I'm sure you've had, you know, if a client comes in, they're 20 pounds overweight, their waist is 40 inches around the belly or more. And they say to you that their doctor told them they're in perfect health and you can see their labs and you say, wait a minute, you know, I got this is, this is a bit of a stretch here because perfect is a little. And so what we see in the evidence is the the idea that 
if you're at this high normal range, you're still at a much greater risk for cardiovascular events. And so the idea around midlife health is that, you know, in midlife works really busy and the home life's really busy and you might be caring for young kids or older parents or even both. And so, you know, we are more at risk for various conditions and low mood and other things are part of that, which actually ties in quite tightly to the story around blood sugars. And so really it's more a conversation to have and an opportunity really for when I do talks with GPs to tell clients, say, hey, look, you're doing well, but at 5.8, we can still see a significant difference if we could get that fasting glucose down towards five, you know, definitely less than 5.4. And so it's a conversation to say, what are you doing on the nutrition front? What are you doing on the exercise front? What does that sleep or stress look like? Like what, what lever can we, can we move there to be able to get some more wins, you know, to be able to nudge things in the right directions? Because again, the nice part is you don't have to make a dramatic change. You just need to make a few small changes. And again, you know, repeat them over time. But to circle back, I think the biggest problem is we see so many people who are so sick that those others kind of fly under the radar and, and, you know, I'm sure you hear, they get frustrated too, because they're still not losing that 20 pounds. So they still feel like their energy is low or they're not sleeping as well. Or the libido is not where it wants to be. And that's, that's a part of this whole story. Yeah. And then, and again, in the end, when we're talking about performance, it's performing for your life. So if you mm. can, if you can make that better, uh, then this is, this is an approach. And again, the, the connection to the longevity was really something that kind of floored me. It's like, oh, so I can actually be in the normal range. My doctor's happy. He's got a big smile. He spent his seven minutes with me and said, oh, your labs turned out great. I'll talk to you next time. Oh, by the way, you need to lose some weight. Uh, and then he walks out the door and yeah, so you're <laughs> sort of like, wait a minute, what am I, am I great or do I need to lose some weight? And this is where like in American units be less than 94 is kind of what we aim for or, or in, in international units, 5.0 millimole per liter. But that's a good, you know, fasting glucose is a really good marker or your, your HA1C is another one. You know, that's your HbA1c that's your three month average for for blood glucose and again less than 5.4 you know five to 5.4 is what we're after and so those just act as a way to tell us like do you have the right diet for you regardless if it's low carb or low fat or everything that's in between that starts to tell us like wait a minute if you're still at 5.7 or 5.8 or your fasting glucose is at 105 or 110 you know you're not all the way home yet we've got to continue this we got to you know, like detective work, start to unpack things a little bit more and figure out where those, those gaps are. Yeah. Now I, I was very fortunate in, in my kind of fitness journey and health journey was that I, I fell into a lot of things. <laughs> I got a little lucky uh, is the best way I can say it. The things when I found the things that worked and one of the things that really worked well for me was fasted exercise. Cool. And it, it was just one of those things of me saying, you know, if I, get up in the morning and it, well, it was, it was twofold. One, if I got up in the morning and did my exercise, it, it was, it was going to get done that day. You know, it was kind of like yeah. the general Check that, that, that says, box, right? the, the, yeah, the general says that makes your, make your bed because you have a small win. For me, it was like, if I just get some, some exercise in, in the morning. And so most, a lot of my programs that I would put together would just say, let's, let's, even if it's just going for a, a walk, a 30 minute walk, when you first get up in the morning, you know, hydrate, go to the bathroom and then just take your dog for a walk or go for a good, a nice little walk. And yep. I said, it's, it's literally going to help you lose weight faster. And the funny thing is, is there's still a lot of people that will argue and say, no, it's calories, a calorie. You're not going to lose fat or anything, but 
I just know empirically, and it's anecdotal from my perspective until you actually, again, pointed to a study because your book is extremely science-based. And it basically was, it was in a journal of nutrition in 2019 that is basically, if you're, if you're exercising before breakfast, you're giving yourself a competitive advantage for weight loss. I mean, it's a fascinating topic, everything around breakfast and timing of exercise. And there's a group out at the University of uh, Bath, and it's called the Bath Breakfast Project. So they're a group of researchers that are investigating everything around breakfast in terms of the types of breakfast we eat and whether we exercise before or after. And the really cool thing here is that if we're someone who is overweight or trying to lose weight, when you do exercise in the fasted state, it's amazing that our body it needs fuel, right? And of course we have fuel on our body. So even if you're 10% body fat, so you're lean, you've got a, almost a six pack, you still have 30,000 calories of energy on your body, which means you could run like seven or eight marathons with nothing. So you imagine someone who's 20% or 30%, we've got all this energy, right? And so to your point, you wake up in the morning and you might not feel like you have the energy, but the cool thing, if you do resistance training on, on the one hand, the fat within your muscles, which is called intramuscular fat, you actually start improving your ability, your body does, the ability to use that fat as a fuel source for your muscle. Now, it gets really interesting here because insulin is the blood sugar hormone. And if you're more pre-diabetic or diabetic or overweight with a lot of central adiposity, so belly fat, then you have really high insulin levels. And that's not a good thing for longevity, right? Some of the original research, Dr. Gerald Reven. Stanford Medical School back in 2000 showed that that's a, you know, that's a big risk factor for cardiovascular disease, cancers, dementia. And so when you train in the morning, you do resistance training, you use more intramuscular fat, and that's really correlated with really lowering this insulin in the more, you know, your, your, your chronic levels of insulin. And so it's a great way to, again, you know, you're basically moving your body in a state where there's not a lot in the fuel tank coming from the food you're eating. So your body has to use what's in the reserves. So your body fat stores to really kick, kick things up. And it's amazing how that is a powerful signal. And, and it happens also on the aerobic side. So, you know, it's a little bit different in terms of the pathway, but when you haven't eaten anything and you go off and I love your point there, but like even walking, because what people struggle with is, especially if they've exercised in the past, and then I, I tell them, hey, look, just get up and go for a walk. And if they're a type A personality, they think you're giving them like the, the lower version of things. And they're, oh, I don't want to do that. That's not, you know, that's not intense enough. And <laughs> they, they don't realize that the goal is actually just to train yourself to get up and do something. It's almost like, yeah. I don't care what you do. I just want you to get used to waking up at six or 630 or whatever it is and do something because that's actually the hardest part, right? The getting out of bed part. And, and I'm sure you've seen this, you get somebody walking and then by the end of the week, without even telling them, they might start jogging a little bit or by the end of two weeks, they're running in the morning. But had you suggested that right off the bat, they would have gone, oh man, that first morning they wake up and it's, oh geez, that feels too intense. And we've got some cool studies to show that, right? You ask someone to, to go down and give you 30 pushups and, you know, something like 30% of the group wants to do it. You ask someone to go down and give you one pushup almost a hundred percent of the group wants to do it. And at the end of the day, both groups are actually quite similar in the amount of pushups they can do. So it's this idea yeah. of like, if you could just get the person down on the floor and ready to do one, once they're down there, they're going to, they're going to show you what they got. And it's the same with yeah. that morning movement piece. And so just what you said, I think 
the fact that life is busy in, in midlife is like, if we can carve this out in the morning is great. I know people's schedules are different. So for some people it could even be after dinner, you know, rather than, you know, we all fall prey to like the Netflix and red wine or whatever it might be, a bottle of beer. But like, if we can do some movement after dinner, if that's the only time you can get it in, then that's a pretty good time too. And then that way you get into that, that natural rhythm and you can start making some progress. Yeah. And I, I've actually seen a study that said, if you do some movement after you eat, it actually helps with blood sugar regulation. So again, there, there's no bad time to exercise. It's just when you can get it in and what you enjoy doing and, and just again, the consistency of doing it. hundred percent. I mean, that's one of the things we're, you know, we're in an Olympic year this year and back to that morning analogy, like Olympic athletes don't wake up in the morning doing cartwheels. Like it's five 30 in the morning and they're jumping out of bed with a big smile on their face, right there. They don't always, they don't want to get out of bed and train a lot of mornings, but the big difference, and this is part of the notion that we talk about in the book of building habits is that the rest of us wake up in the morning when that alarm goes off, we, we still ask that question. Like, should I get up? Should I not get up? <laughs> Do I really want to go for a run? Whereas the people, and in this example, the, you know, the athletes, the Olympic athletes, there's not a question anymore. The alarm goes off that that alarm triggers the action. They roll themselves out of bed and they just get on with it. And you'll often hear people say, well, I could never do that. And then I say to them, well, what's the first thing you do when you sit in your car? Well, you put your seatbelt on, right? Well, you're not thinking about that anymore. You're not motivated or inspired, or you're not even disciplined. You just literally the environment of sitting in that chair triggers this automatic reaction and it's interesting how we can, you know, everybody does that. And so we can start to use that to, to implement, you know, that's ultimately what we want to do in nutrition and exercise. We don't want you to make decisions all day long. We want to start as best we can integrating some of these things. So they're just what you do rather than having to think so much about it. Yeah. And, and with an athlete, the way you're talking, the competitive athletes and Olympians is, you know, first they start off with a commitment. They're going to do this. Uh, and then it becomes a habit. And, mm -hmm. you know, it's the whole point of, and the way I like to say it is, if your spouse needed you to pick them up at the airport at five o'clock in the morning, guess where you are at five o'clock in the morning. You don't roll out <laughs> yeah. of bed and say, I really don't want to do this and hit your, yeah. hit your snooze alarm and ignore their text. Um, and then the letter from your divorce attorney, but, uh, <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know, so no, you show up where you're supposed to be. And so it's just kind of getting that thing, that ball rolling and to know that doing this physical activity first thing in the morning before your breakfast is actually doing you more good than just doing it uh, really kind of needs to be a huge incentive to say, yeah, get up, do something, start something uh, that work, even if it doesn't feel intense is, is really kind of changing you and, and getting you better and helping you with your performance um, as just being a good human and a healthy parent, a healthy grandparent and, and all of that. hundred percent. This episode of the 40 Plus Fitness Podcast is sponsored by Haka Life Nutrition, the maker of GLX-3. You know the benefit of omega-3, reduced inflammation, which helps with joint pain and heart health. And you know you're probably not getting enough from your diet. But then you read about the mercury in fish, or how the fish oil supplement you bought at Costco or Walmart might be oxidized and rancid. Not good. Then you look into a plant-based solution and find it isn't very bioavailable or creole oil, which is much more expensive and isn't really sustainable. GLX-3 is very different. It's from sustainably farmed, green-lipped mussels in New Zealand. The 17 omega-3s found in green-lipped mussels include ETA, 
which is not found in any fish oil. What is ETA? Not to bore you with the science, but it has been shown to be very effective at reducing inflammation and pain. Haka Life Nutrition has paired this oil with New Zealand olive oil and vitamin E to make a very unique omega-3 supplement. I think it's brilliant. Mussels are at the bottom of the food chain and have a short lifespan, so they aren't as susceptible to mercury contamination. And they don't starve out other species when they're farmed in open water. Haka Life Nutrition is meticulous about their sourcing and encapsulation of GLX-3. Each bottle is traceable all the way back to the place, date, and time of harvesting to ensure you get the best quality omega-3 product on the market. They offer a full 90-day guarantee. Go to hakalife.com forward slash 40 plus and use the discount code 40 plus to get a buy one, get one free deal on your first order, which gives you a two-month starter supply. GLX3 is my go-to omega-3 supplement going forward. It can be yours too by going to hakalife.com forward slash 40 plus and be sure to use the discount code 40 plus for the BOGO deal. One of the things you got into in the book is you got into protein. And this is a topic I think I read about or talk about nearly every single day. Um, (laughs) (laughs) You know, because, you know, if I'm talking to a vegan or vegetarian, you know, then the topic will always come up is where do you get your protein? And I Mm -hmm. try to tell people it's like it's it's in all of that. You just have to mix and match. And then someone who's like animal protein, I'm like, yeah, it's great protein if you want to eat animals. Uh, that's great too. Um, I loved your approach coming in, basically just saying, do both. <laughs> you know, yeah, do both. I mean, it's. Uh, <laughs> I mean, in the book, we basically set like a minimum level. Like people say, well, can I eat more? I said, sure, but again, the idea with the book is, again, if we use a golf analogy, like if you play a par three with Tiger Woods, and even if you're a ten handicap, if Tiger hits a really good shot and you hit a really good shot, you're probably not too different in terms of where the ball is. But the difference is if Tiger hits his worst shot, he's got he's still on the green. Whereas if an amateur hits their worst shot, they're 20 yards in the bush and they're you know they've lost their ball, no, right? And so, no, we heard a splash. We just heard a splash. Yeah, That's what exactly. we heard. <laughs> you know, it's like um, and so this idea that we've got to start like you know, the worst day that we have has just got to be better, right? Rather than always focusing on trying to be people want to be great, but then it's hard to maintain it, and then all of a sudden they fall off the wagon. And so you know, the minimum, the idea for this minimum of 1.2 grams of protein, you know, per kilogram body weight per day, which if you divide, you know, for Canadian or American, you take your body weight in pounds and divide that by 2.2, you know, this is a number that some of the best protein researchers like Stu Phillips at McMaster University in, in Hamilton from Canada and Theo Espoglu leads Beckett in the UK in their research have found like as we age, if we can maintain this amount of protein, minimum amount in the 50s, 60s, 70s, it really helps to fight off sarcopenia, which is the loss of muscle associated with aging. And that's actually a huge problem when we talk about longevity and wellness. Like once you start losing muscle mass, you know, a lot of bad things start to happen after that. And so again, it's about setting up this, this rhythm that if you can just start to hit this as part of your daily rhythm every day, and you just know that you're getting this 1.2 grams per kilo, you can actually stop thinking about protein a little bit. I mean, there's scenarios where you might want more, et cetera, but you can then, you know, focus on other areas like carbs or fats or or whatever else. But that's a really big one because as much as people think they're eating a lot of protein and, you know, you mentioned 
you know, plant-based or vegan, they'll often say, well, I've heard that before. I'm fine. But I'm sure you've seen once you actually go through and calculate things, even for meat eaters, you're saying, well, wait a minute, you know, we're barely at the RDA, which is 0.8. And, and we're wondering why, you know, we're leaving a lot of gains out here if we're not at least getting to 1.2. And even there we see in the research, if you climb up to the 1.6, you're still going to get some significant benefits. So, you know, it's a great place to start to build out your diet is like, where's the protein on my plate. And then from there, figuring out, you know, the rest. Yeah. You do center on protein as kind of the starting point of deciding what you're going to eat. And I, you know, yes, I, I have a client, I, I meet a client, I start talking to them and we, we start looking at their nutrition and it's like, they're eating 60 grams, maybe 65 grams of protein in a day. And I'm like, Oh no, no, no. <laughs> you're about to start lifting weights with me. I need you to bump that up considerably. Uh, and then there's this fear. They're like, well, won't that harm my kidneys? Can I eat too much protein? And you kind yeah. of dove into that, you know, that people might not be able to eat too much protein. Can you talk a little bit about, is there a protein limit? I mean, that's one of the biggest hangovers that still lingers in medical schools is this idea that if we eat too much protein is bad for our kidneys. And this really stems from if someone is type two diabetic and is having renal failure, typically is the issue where we do need to be mindful of the amount of protein because the kidneys struggle to cope with it. And of course, it's almost like lost in translation. This then get got the notion of, well, if anybody consumes X amount of protein or too much protein, they're going to have issues with their kidneys. I mean, we have studies now that for the course of one entire year, individuals consumed 3.0 grams per kilogram, which is almost triple what we suggest here. And there's still no adverse effects on kidney function. And so I think one of the things, you know, so obviously it's safe for the kidneys and that's what all the protein experts will tell you. And we see more and more doctors now realizing this and the evidence is really clear. I mean, there's not even a, you know, it's, it's very, very clear. But in addition to this, the thing that I talk about in the book as well is this idea that vegetables are great for you. Eat lots of those, but when you increase your protein intake, you also dramatically increase your micronutrient status. So you bring on board more vitamins and minerals, which we often just associate with plants and the vegetables that we're eating, but animal proteins and plant proteins as well. But I think animal proteins often get left out on this is they're tremendously nutrient dense. And so, you know, making sure you get those in is, is in effect acting like a multivitamin, you know, you're, you're getting, you know, your, your one a day all the key vitamins and minerals that you're after. Now, one of the other concepts before we get off of protein that I, I thought was really important that I, I, I say this all the time, it's about the quality. So when we talk about the quality of protein, what, what does that actually mean? And, and how do we, how do we achieve that? Yeah. I mean, I think this is interesting when we start to look at populations around the world and we could probably even expand this to just the overall diet quality, like the quality of the entire diet, because the conversation, one of the reasons why we tend to fear animal protein is because if we increase saturated fat in the diet, we can increase LDL cholesterol, which is quote unquote, the bad cholesterol. And that plays an important role in the progression of atherosclerosis, which is the narrowing of the arteries, which predisposes you more to you know heart attacks and strokes. And so Heck, that's not good. We don't want that, right? Now, there's a lot of nuance in this whole story because, you know, first off, we often hear steak, eggs, dairy, watch out, they're high saturated fat foods. They certainly do contain some, but, you know, almonds contain 
double two and a half times as many saturated fats as a hundred gram serving of steak. And you, and you don't hear, you know, people saying, well, listen, almonds are going to cause you problems or dark chocolate or whatnot. And so, you know, the foods that are richest in saturated fat are things like pizza, you know, grain-based desserts, sausages, hamburgers, all these processed meats and processed foods. And so, you know, that's the first place that we look at, but it gets even more interesting when you look at the countries around the world, because there are certain countries that have removed this upper limit, which in, in America, we still have this upper limit that says you should only consume 10% of your total caloric intake from saturated fats. If you go above that, it can be a problem. Now it gets interesting because you go to Spain and by 2040, the Spanish will be the longest living people on the planet and they eat more than 10% saturated fat. You think, okay, maybe that's a one-off. Well, you go to France, same thing. One of the longest living countries in the world they also consume more than 10%. And this is the notion where diet quality matters. Like if your saturated fats coming from real food, from steak and eggs and these types of things, and you're eating a lot of vegetables and whole foods, it looks as though that's not as big an adverse impact, right? You're not going to have this adverse cardiovascular effect because we see, you know, in places like Spain and France, 32 or 38 deaths per 100,000 from heart attack, whereas in the United States, we see almost 80, right? So more than double. And this is the idea where if your saturated fats are coming from all those ultra-processed foods, right? Like the takeout pizza, the, the quick hamburger, the sausage, and you're overweight, this creates the perfect storm for all these, these bad issues to, to happen. And so, you know, if, if you're someone listening in and you don't like to eat meat or you don't want to eat meat, you know, we don't tell you this to force it upon you. But I think too often I see people who are overweight, who are avoiding these foods because they think it's quote unquote bad for them. But an effect of that is we don't achieve the protein intake and the foods that they choose to eat actually have a lot more calories in them. And now if we're not losing weight, then we're not going to be improving blood sugars. We're not going to be lowering inflammation. And this is where we get into a real problem because now we're, you know, we're really stuck and that risk is not going to go down. Yeah. I see that too. As someone sit there and say, well, you know, I don't want to eat that much meat and I want to get my protein. So I buy this, this vegan uh, protein shake at this, this certain place. And I go to that place and look up the nutrition information and say, okay, well, it's got, you know, 39 grams of um, carbs. I mean, uh, sugar. And I'm like, so that's like drinking a, 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 a soft drink. I mean, you're quite literally drinking a soft drink and you might be getting 20 grams of protein out of that. But it, you know, it's not just protein and it's, it's processed stuff and it's a lot of sugar. And so, yeah, I, I think we, we, it's too easy to get roped into this. The simple is the way, and it's just, uh, just, you know, go ahead and avoid these, you know, set these simple rules, avoid saturated fat, avoid animal products, avoid that. And you can get yourself roped into a, just kind of making mistakes only because you're listening and, and trying to fit it in and. And also because you like that, uh, that particular flavor of shake. Well, and the other thing too, yeah. I mean, if you're plant-based or vegan, oftentimes I see people have problems. I'm like, I don't see them eating any lentils. I don't see them eating any tempeh and we're eating all these processed, you know, meat substitutes. I was like, wait a minute. You can't, <laughs> if you're plant-based and you're still eating a processed food diet, that's, that's still not good. And it might even be worse than an animal-based processed food diet. And it's like, we've got to get back to your point here, like eating real food. You want 20 grams or 30 grams of plant-based protein? Well, let's have some lentils. Let's have some 
some tempeh or, or whatnot, um, or a shake that has less, you know, sugar than the one you mentioned, because otherwise, yeah, you're, you're, you're still causing a lot of the same problems just with a different type of uh, strategy. Yeah. Now, one area you got into the book uh, that I think is, is far overlooked in the health and, and wellness space is because we're like, okay, well, here's your nutrition, here's your fitness, go lose some weight, get stronger, and you're good. And many people will sit there and kind of put this concept of when I get to a particular weight, I'm going to be happy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> now, <laughs> when I win an Olympic medal, I'll be happy. Yeah, when I I'll be achieve happy, yeah. the promotion, I'll be happy. Right. And, and that day may or may not ever come, but you get to that weight and it's not there. And so you talk about awe and happiness and, um, they're related in my, in my opinion, uh, all gives you happiness. All is the, the moments that you're happiest, uh, because you're just looking at the world in a way that's just, it's opening you up to just what, what's possible. Um, why should we commit to all? Yeah. I mean, it's a, <laughs> this is sort of an underpinning of the whole book with this idea that, well, first off, mindset, you know, the six inches between our ears is the reason why we succeed or don't succeed. And so with that as the backdrop, and again, this is regardless if it's, you know, you or I or someone working a nine to five who's trying to achieve their goals or even an Olympian, it's still, you know, that mindset that we bring is really what's going to make us or break us. And the really you know, at first kind of depressing thing in midlife is, is how I opened the book with this U-shaped happiness curve, which you know, Professor David Blanche Flower at Dartmouth University goes around the world and they 135 countries, they measure all these indices of, of happiness and realize that it doesn't matter if you're in America, South America, Europe, Asia, you know, by midlife in our between 41 to 48, effectively, we have this dip, you know, our lowest point of the happiness index which on the surface sounds a little bit like, oh, geez, really? That sounds like a long time, seven years. But really, it ref more than likely reflects the fact that we're just at our busiest, right? We've got all these demands on our time, we're sleeping less, et cetera. Now, why is that important to this whole conversation? Well, if we don't, if we know that, let's say, if you don't sleep sufficiently, if you don't get that at least seven hours a night, it's more difficult to disengage from negative thoughts. So now you wake up in the morning, you think, well, forget that. I'm not, I'm not getting up to run because, you know, we can make up an excuse, right? It gets harder now to build the habits that we need. And so this is one of the major roadblocks we see with clients in midlife is that, you know, the mindset is such that we're sort of stuck in this bit of a rut, if you will, um, or we've tried to achieve those weight loss goals, those health goals so many times that as soon as something goes wrong, or as soon as we get to a roadblock, you know, it's like a, a loop that plays back in our minds and we start self-sabotaging and, and thinking it's not going to work out. And so, you know, this connection to awe is really how do we, rather than this progression of, if I achieve the promotion, if I achieve the weight loss goal, if I achieve my dream of the Olympics, then I get to happiness. The cool thing, again, from a performance standpoint is in elite sport, they're flipping that whole model to say, how do we create happiness in this person? to then allow them to express their potential. Because even if you achieve your weight loss goal, guess what happens tomorrow morning? You still need to wake up and do something. You still need to eat something. You still need to train a certain way. Like there's, you know, the world keeps moving. And so how do we build that mindset? How do we start to reshape, you know, how we think and how we feel, you know, whether it's optimism, self-talk, all these types of things. And, and this is where we circle back to this conversation around awe, because 
I think even with the backdrop of the latest pandemic, we've seen how people's moods have been impacted. And so what's the easiest way to impact, you know, mood and happiness? And when we look, you know, there's two components to happiness. One of them is life satisfaction, which is effectively, you know, how satisfied are you with your life? And that actually does trend really closely with your income, right? So you tend to be more satisfied with your life if you have higher earning power. But the other part of happiness is the subjective part, which means are you happy in your life? And that actually has no correlation with income. It might, in fact, when you get to a high enough bracket, it actually impacts negatively. And so the crazy part about awe, which is, you know, awe is basically just walking out into into nature, you know, forests, seeing mountains and ocean, even even pictures of it. Uh, awe is even listening to like a, a song that really resonates for you or a speech that makes you feel a certain way. And that actually triggers both aspects. It's a positive emotion. It triggers both aspects of happiness. And so, you know, some really cool research by uh, Dr. Amy Gordon at Cal Berkeley. And even in our day-to-day lives, if, if you can actually in a week find a couple of things that are that allow you to experience that. So if you, again, flip scroll through your Instagram rather than comparing yourself to somebody, look through some landscapes or listen to some music, it actually has this really beneficial effect for, you know, emotions and positive emotions, which, you know, by itself isn't going to move the needle, but it allows you then to take that step towards saying, I'm going to do a little bit more, you know, positive self-talk exercise, or I'm going to train myself a bit more to be optimistic because the funny part is these are actually like, these are trainable skills. We, we often think of them as just traits. Like that's a positive person. I'm a skeptical person. But one of the analogies I like uh, metaphors that's really great is this idea that like you don't show up to the championship game and expect to score 40 points if you've never practiced. And, and how many of us really practice our the mindset skills, right? And until recently, it's it's really flown under the radar. And so I think for some of us in midlife, it feels kind of weird to sort of circle back to that. But, you know, one of the ways in which I outline is, and which I've seen, you know, the experts that I work with in, in sport and whatnot is this notion of going back to your values. So if I need you to develop a new habit, hey, it helps a little bit if you want to hit a certain number on the scale, but it really helps if your values are the fact that you want to take care of your, you know, you want to spend quality time with your kids and have enough energy for them, but you're 30 pounds overweight. And if you don't do it, it's going to adversely impact that relationship and your ability. Now, all of a sudden we've got this, you know, you can really see that the North star there is, is, is that value. And if you're staying up late watching, you know, crappy TV and snacking on things, it just becomes more obvious. And so that's been one thing over time that's really struck out for me in my, in my practice is, you know, limiting the amount of things I get people to do being more just like, here's the one or two things we want you to do. And, allowing them the space to see that, you know, Hey, this is your goal. You want to be able more energetic to thrive in your business or at home. Well, these are the things that you're doing. Do you think those are in alignment? And when you can let people start and they make those connections quite quickly. And all of a sudden it's amazing how almost like snapping your fingers, people who struggled to do a behavior for weeks or months can, can all of a sudden really jump on board. Cool. Uh, Dr. Bubbs, I define wellness as being the healthiest, fittest, and happiest you can be. What are three strategies or tactics to get and stay well? That's a great question. I mean, 
the way, again, this whole idea of being busy and the madness and the hectics of midlife is, is coming back to simple rules that we can remember when we're busy and when we fall off the wagon or we fall off, you know, we go off piste. It's easy to remember these heuristics, right? These simple rules to come back to. And so what I like to tell people is if you can start your morning well, which in the book we call master your morning, if you can end your day well or not let things go off the rails with all the late night eating, because we know that's where we're, you know, more than 40% of all the calories we consume now come after six o'clock. So if you can start your day well, end your day well, and eat enough protein through the day, three simple things, you'd be amazed at how much progress you can make because the middle of the day actually doesn't matter nearly as much as those other points. And so that would be kind of the, the quick tips I would give someone that they can go off with and say, hey, eat the right breakfast, try not to snack through the mid-morning, don't succumb to the late night snacking and get that protein in and you'd be pretty pretty amazed at the progress you can make. Awesome. So Dr. Bubbs, if someone wanted to learn more about you, about the book, and I believe you have uh, a seminar, a peak 40 uh, thing coming up uh, this next, this fall, where would you like for me to send them? hundred percent. Yeah. I appreciate it. You can go to drbubbs.com forward slash peak 40 and you'll, you know, you'll see some info there. We have a nutrition coaching. We do every uh, three times a year. So the next one's in the fall, uh, 2021. And so you can check out some information there. We've got a peak 40 podcast as well, where we, a short form podcast again, sort of 20 minutes an episode to give people some, some clips on this and, and how they can start to implement some of these things. And again, you know, after 20 years of doing this and working on both ends of the spectrum with kind of elite and Olympic athletes and the general population, it's, it's really been, uh, you know, a fun journey, but trying to figure out how we can help people you know, make the most progress by doing that minimum effective dose is really the, you know, the impetus for the book. Dr. Bubs, thank you so much for being a part of 40 plus fitness. Alan, I appreciate it, man. It's, it's been great to be on and uh, thanks for having me. Hey, Raz, welcome back. Hey, Alan. Wow. That was really neat of Dr. Bubs to come back with a new book and they both both of his books sound really interesting. I like the idea of peaking, but yeah. especially after 40. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. And, and I think that was kind of one of the things, the first book was just, it was, it was intense because it mm -hmm. was, it was written for pretty much for professional athletes. And it was, you know, in, in their field, um, they, they need to peak at a certain time. So right. I'm not sure the show we're coming up on the Olympics soon. I think, mm -hmm. uh, you know, people won't be attending again because of the, the problems with COVID. Right. But all these athletes over the course of the last several months have been doing what they needed to do to qualify for the Olympics, which is typically done every four years mm -hmm. for most of these athletes. So they are doing world championships and other things, but for most of them, they don't care about that. They just want to make this one race. They want yeah. to do this one thing. And to do that, they spend all their time trying to peak to try to be at the best performance they possibly can at a given point in time. So one, they make it into the Olympics. And then two, when they're competing in the Olympic, Olympics against mm -hmm. the best people in the world, mm -hmm. that they're doing their best. So yeah. even if they don't win, you're seeing the best that that athlete can bring to the field. And the science that Dr. Bubbs talked about in his first book, Peak, was everything we know about how that happens and how you can train for peak performance. Hmm. I thought it was important to have them on here because we are training to be peak 
grandparents and peak this, you know, so if right. you're planning a hike and you're going to do the Grand Canyon with your nieces and nephews or your children or whatever, uh, grandchildren, you want to be peak health. You want to be peak mm-hmm. performance. You know, uh, you want to be able to lift your own kayak. You want to be able to do your own, you know, your own marching and you don't want to have to sit stuff out. So right. peaking and being in the performance state, I thought was really important. And then he comes back with peak 40 and I'm like, well, this is perfect. Um, I didn't have anything to do with that, but uh, <laughs> like, but this is perfect. <laughs> uh-huh. And so, yeah. And so basically this book is taking a lot of the basic science and things that were in peak and he's applying it to the rest of us. So he was mm-hmm. talking to that, that 1% of people out there with the first book. And I try, I tried to take that information and apply it for us. And then he's gone and actually done it and, and even better. So it's a really cool book. Uh, particularly if you consider yourself generally athletic, but it doesn't mm-hmm. have to be because there's still a lot in there for everybody. But mm-hmm. if you're, if you're an athlete, you see yourself as an athlete, uh, there's a lot in there to help you just be as good as you can be. So if you're trying to get a PR on a 5k or a half marathon, boom, mm-hmm. you're going to have some, a lot of information in there to help you do that. Um, or if you just want to be an awesome grandma, uh, when it comes to family vacation or the grandkids are hanging out with you, um, it's also that kind of book too. Mm-hmm. Well, you started the interview off with uh, the big rocks, the major things, the big things that we could do uh, to make a change in our lives. And, and that also resonated with me too, because we're, we're bombarded by data all around us. There's articles and podcasts and news clippings and, and news headlines that we see on the news and all this stuff is around us and we can easily get lost in the weeds, but I'd like bringing the focus back to the big rocks. What are the major things that we could do to move the needle on our own personal health and fitness? Yeah. Well, I, I brought this up in my book as well. The wellness roadmap was that we do have to focus on the big rocks. And I actually talked Mm -hmm. about kind of where that concept came from. Uh, It's big rocks, little rocks and sand, and you're trying to get Mm -hmm. them all in the bucket and they'll all fit in the bucket if you put the big rocks in there first, Mm -hmm. if you put the sand in there first, you won't get all the big rocks and little rocks in there. And if you put the little rocks in there, you're still not going to get everything in there. So you got to put the big rocks in first, and then you put the little rocks in and you shake the hell out of the jar. And then, (laughs) (laughs) then you put the sand in and shake the jar and you eventually can get all of that into that jar. It doesn't look Mm -hmm. like it when you first start, but you can. And the concept is if you focus on the big rocks first, you're going to make up a lot of ground faster and it's, mm-hmm. and, it, and it works and it works in almost every aspect of your life. We get buried when we start focusing on the sand. So the mm-hmm. question is, what supplement should I take? <laughs> you know, uh, mm-hmm. there, I hear about this, this protein window after my weight training, do I have to have protein within an hour or is my training wasted? Um, we hear all these things and it keeps coming out every day, you know, eat pomegranate. It's a superfood. Um, those are all those things are, are good, but they're the sand. Mm -hmm. They're just sand in your progress of how far you want to go. So focusing on the big rocks means that you're putting your priority, you're putting your time, which is at a premium for us today. Um, you're putting that on the most important thing. So you, you know, you'll hear the statement, you can't outwork a diet. Yep. People still try. <laughs> yeah. Like, well, you know, I'm doing an hour a day on the treadmill and I'm mm-hmm. like, well, if you spent that hour food prepping, oh yeah, <laughs> you know, cutting up some vegetables, 
pre-cooking uh, the meat and fish that you want to eat for the week and, and putting those meals together and putting them in the freezer, that hour would do so much more for you than the hour you spent on the treadmill. Now, the hour that. on the treadmill might be important from a mental health perspective because many of us get um, a lot of mental benefit from the exercise. So uh, don't, don't, you know, my, my big rock might not entirely be your big rock, but right. I will say I'm certain for 90, 95% of us, nutrition, mm-hmm. eating whole food is our big rock. If you're not eating mostly whole food, mm-hmm. meaning it's not coming from a can box jar or bag. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say those different every time I say them, <laughs> but if it's not coming from one of those four things, then you're eating whole food. It's, it's a plant yeah. animal and the less processed, the better. If you're eating mostly whole food and as high quality as you can eat, um, that's most of our big rocks. That is a good one. That's a great one. And then the and next moving. big rock, yeah, the next big rock is moving. Exactly. Mm-hmm. You need to be moving. Your body was designed to move. In fact, mm-hmm. it needs to move to stay alive. Mm-hmm. You know, the toxins that are in your body, they're cleared from your cells and they go into your lymph system. Now, your lymph system doesn't have any pumps. Your heart is a pump for blood. Your lungs and the diaphragm work as a pump system to basically move oxygen in and take carbon, uh, carbon dioxide out. Mm-hmm. And, and that's working like a pumping action. But we don't have a way to remove our toxins with any pumping action. The, the way that works is through skeletal muscle. Skeletal muscle is the muscle that moves our body around. So if we're not moving, we're not clearing toxins. Mm-hmm. Right. And they're sitting there. And you might have heard some terms like, okay, well, I hope the cancer doesn't get into the lymph nodes because then mm-hmm. it spreads. And that's true. So movement is a way for your body to stay detoxified. It's a way for your body to stay cleaner. So we need to move as a function of our day-to-day life. Mm-hmm. That makes us healthier. That helps us yeah. avoid a lot of problems. And so those are the two big rocks that I would say, if you're, if you're not doing those two things, then, mm-hmm. then it doesn't matter how much protein you eat. It doesn't matter how many hours you sleep. It doesn't matter. Anything else doesn't matter if you're not doing those two things. Yeah. I have to agree with you on that one. Food and movement are so critical. Mm-hmm. And, and he also mentioned uh, the happiness and awe and mindset at the end. That's my other favorite word, mindset. (laughs) (laughs) I was so happy to see the word awe in his book (laughs) Mm -hmm. because no one in the health and fitness field, to my knowledge, and I've read hundreds, thousands of books and articles, no one really Mm -hmm. talks much about that. You know, I, I talk about happiness, uh, but awe takes it to a whole nother level. Awe awe is about the experience of life. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of us miss that because we're too busy being busy. Oh gosh. Yep. Busy. So, so I was really glad he brought that up because I do think that happiness and awe are kind of a, a missed piece of a life well lived. Mm-hmm. So you can be super fit and you can eat the best foods, but if you're not enjoying yourself mm-hmm. and you're not having those moments of bliss of awe, then why, why live a year longer? You know, <laughs> uh, yeah. 
why? I mean, so the, the why that we go through for the commitment is typically about those moments. Mm-hmm. You know, when I talk to clients and I say, okay, why do you want to do this? Why do you, why do you want to lose 30 pounds? Yeah. Why? And it's the, well, you know, I'll feel better. I'll, I'll, I'll be happier. Mm-hmm. And that's not the way it works. You will probably feel better. That's, that's true. But it's so you can do what? Mm-hmm. And those moments should be ah, you I know, like time with a granddaughter, time with a grandson, hiking Grand Canyon, mm-hmm. going and seeing the Great Wall of China, mm-hmm. the Galapagos, you know, having the health and the wellness to do that stuff. Because mm-hmm. I can tell you, when you're standing on the sea cliffs at the Galapagos and you're watching the albatross fly and the uh-huh. sea wall, it's just like just the See, he's just hitting these these cliffs and spraying up in the air. Wow! Yeah, those are moments that no one can take from me. I love it. Yep. And so, when someone tells me, you know, I'm too busy, I'm, I'm too busy to eat well, I'm too busy to work out those those big rocks, and then the the, the smaller big rocks of sleep and stress reduction. I'm too busy to meditate. I'm too busy to do yoga. I'm too busy. When someone tells me they're too busy, mm-hmm. that that's one of the saddest things that that I can hear, mm-hmm. and it, it bothers me. That that excuse bothers me more than any other excuse out there. Yeah, it's such a it's so important to make your own health a priority, and then to work your life around that. And I'm a morning runner, and a lot of the people in some local run clubs are morning runners. Some of us are evening runners. And and I see the most beautiful sunrise and sunset pictures from other people's runs that are just breathtaking. And to have that moment of that beautiful splendor of the first light or the last light it's uh, it's beautiful. Who doesn't love a sunrise or sunset? And to just appreciate that moment or to see the wildlife. We've got um, deer right now are dropping fawns. So we see a lot of fawns on our runs as well. And to see a deer and a fawn is such a special thing. And it's why I get out and run so often. And I, I just, it's, it just makes me so happy in that moment. And it's such a special time. And, and I wish other people could appreciate that as well by getting up early and, and doing their thing. And, and it, it's not that you have to go for a run to do those things. Sometimes it's as simple as getting in your car, mm-hmm. driving down to a local park yeah. and going for a walk. Sure. And, and it's funny because um, I have a guest that's coming up and I don't want to blow the whole thing. He just, but he just, he talked about just petting and playing with a dog. Mm-hmm. And you know some things like that, and I'm like, there's so many moments that you can take to put more happiness into your life, and so I, I kind of like to leave this with a challenge, and the challenge would be write down three things that you really, really, really enjoy doing that just mm-hmm. really make you happy. Mm-hmm. Okay, write down three things, and then commit to within the next month to do all three of those things. Perfect. And it can be to sit with your loved one and watch a sunset. It can be to go back and watch a movie that I really, really enjoyed. Oh, yeah. It can be to take up something that I, I did before that was athletic 
and just do it at slower pace if you need to. Pick up a mm-hmm. tennis racket and hit a golf, hit, hit the ball against the wall. Yeah. You know, you don't have to be all of that. But if you enjoyed playing tennis, it's not that you have to give it up. You, you go do it. And so mm-hmm. within the next month, take those three things and just make a point to do them. And if you can that. do them easily, like sunsets, other than when it's cloudy, those happen <laughs> almost every day. <laughs> yeah. uh, lots of opportunity. Whereas, you know, if it's, I want to go to the beach again, maybe that's a little bit out of, out of touch, out of reach for this month. But mm-hmm. think about the things that really kind of bring you joy, mm-hmm. uh, that make you happy and just spend a little bit more time doing that. And then, then of course, that. if you're focusing on the big rocks, you have more energy, mm-hmm. you have more fitness mm-hmm. and you'll be able to do more. And so like I said, it just, it bugs me when people say they're too busy mm-hmm. and I'm like, you know, really, if you care about your wellness and then they're listening to this point in a podcast, so I think you care, then you got to make the investment. You got to make yeah. the investment of time because big rocks take time. Big rocks take time because one, you're not going to get that immediate satisfaction of, oh, I had a salad for dinner. I should weigh 10 pounds less tomorrow. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Not how it works. Or I got on the treadmill today and I ran a mile. It's like, okay, you wake up the next morning and you hurt like heck because you haven't been running at all. That's not how big rocks work. You've got to move them slowly. You've got to do the gentle nudges. And then you've got to be patient and wait for those things, those good things to happen. And so the peak performance that you see in an elite athlete the Olympics are four years away. For some of these kids, mm-hmm. they started training when they were in diapers, learning a skill and then honing it and working it and working it and hours and hours and hours and hours, thousands and thousands of hours of training yeah. just for the chance to be one of those athletes. And then they perform. And so the investment that they're making is huge over time. And it's that slow, they get there, they get there, yeah. they get there. And then if, if, if everything peaks, everything's right, they have that awesome moment. And what, what I think that uh, Dr. Bubbs is saying in this book is awesome moments are all around you. Mm-hmm. You don't have to wait for the Olympics to come. <laughs> yeah. You can have an awesome moment today. You just have to go out and do it. You have I to know that. you want it and you have to do it. You have to make the investment of time, effort, money. You put the time in, you put the money in, you put the effort in and you make special things happen in your life. And that makes your life better. It makes it more full. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, most of us, our opportunity to go to the Olympics is over. Uh, We didn't, (laughs) that boat has sailed and we're not going to be there. I'm not going to be in the NFL. You're not going to be NBA Mm -hmm. or WNBA. Mm -hmm. Um, That stuff's not going to happen for us, but that doesn't mean we don't have things that we can aspire to, things that we can win, things that will make still, us happy. Yeah, we can do great things. Alan, I, I mentioned earlier, I'm about to turn 50. And a couple of weeks ago, I ran 50 miles. That's got to be one of the biggest accomplishments in my life. And I'm about 50. So <laughs> there's still plenty of time to, to do great things, whatever they are. Well, just it, you got to start. It might be the biggest so far. So far. That so is true. Far. <laughs> Cause you haven't been a, you haven't been a grandma yet, Not you, yet. A, you know, so, so yeah. there's, yeah. And, and 
push that off a few years. Okay. But yeah. uh, <laughs> since so, your kids are just not quite still ready. young. <laughs> yeah. But, but the whole point being is, is yes, that there's so much in front of us. Mm-hmm. And that's again, why I love that word awe is because if you start seeking out those things that do that for you, your life is going to be so much fuller. And most of the time we get on here and we're talking about nutrition and we're talking about fitness and we're, we're into this stuff that sometimes it's easy to forget. It's not more, it's not always about putting more in. So I'm working that full-time job. I'm doing this and then I'm trying to exercise and I'm trying to cook and I'm trying to take care of my kids and, and do all those things together. The reality is sometimes it's just taking a break and doing less and just, just doing something that you enjoy that just brings you that, that feeling. That's, that's just it is finding that happiness and that joy and awe, like Dr. Bubbs had said, I it's important. Yes, it is. All <laughs> right. So uh, Rachel, I guess uh, we'll talk next week then. Sounds great. Take care. You too. Thanks. Next time on the 40 plus fitness podcast, we meet Dr. Lynn Rossi and discuss her book, Savor Every Bite. Mindful ways to eat, love your body, and live with joy. Until then, have a happy and healthy week.